Welcome to a new episode of the Cartridge Club, where we discuss our game of the month with members of the Cartridge Club community. It's Rocket Sauce here, and for the month of June, the Cartridge Club played Fallout 3. Joining me on the show, we have Caleb J. Ross and Stumptown Retro. If you've played along, you can always share your own experiences in the forums at cartridgeclub.org, in the community's Discord, or across social media by using the hashtag Cartridge Club. Before I start the show, on behalf of the entire Cartridge Club community, I'd like to give a huge shout out to our Patreon Club backers like Joel Boyce, Buried on Mars, Christopher Rohr, Dean Lasagna, and Caleb J. Ross. To our backers and Patreon supporters, thank you. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon supporter for the Cartridge Club, please look at how you can do so at patreon.com forward slash cartridge club. Hey, I, I, oh man. So Fallout Three, uh, I, I, it's a, it's a, it's an important game to me, and because it, it, it brought me back into games after a long hiatus of being out of games. Um, so I grew up with games, uh, played games all the time. I was obsessed with them, so they've always been a very important part of my life. They were an important part of my childhood. After graduating college, there was a stint of about eight years or so where I, I was doing other creative stuff, and I just didn't touch video games at all. So there's really like a whole generation. It's around the PlayStation 3 or so generation that completely skipped by me. I just have no frame of reference for any of it at all. And then at work one day, someone just heard that I used to like video games and used to play video games. At that time, I didn't really identify as a gamer because, again, I hadn't been around in a while. And uh, and they said, you should play this game Fallout 3. Well, it just so happened that I had bought a PC that was capable enough of playing a, at that time, I don't know, like five-year-old game or something. And so I was like, all right, let me, let me try it out. And uh, it, it absolutely kind of blew my mind, really, like without without any hyperbole at all. Like it was an amazing experience to come back into games with. Um, and I can really crystallize it down uh, to specifically that, that, and I'm sure we'll get into more of this and I definitely don't want don't to bogart too much, but I think it's relevant here, that sort of opening world reveal scene that all Bethesda games kind of have. I had never experienced anything like that. I didn't know at the time that that was kind of a Bethesda thing. I just kind of was like, wow, something crazy cool is happening here when you exit. And it wasn't until playing it this time that I kind of, you know, having this this longer history of thinking about games from an analytical perspective that I'm able to really understand why that was so impactful to me at that age, because really the game had everything. I Everything, I should not have liked the game in the way that I did because I didn't understand RPGs in general. I didn't understand stats. I didn't understand character builds. I didn't understand the VAT system. They don't teach you any of that stuff. They don't teach you really how to sell or like there was so much in this game that they just don't teach you that I was like, I, I should have hated the game and I should have been frustrated with the game. But that opening reveal was so powerful that I was like, I have to be in this for the long haul. I just have to. And so 
Bethesda games, they just do that and to such a, to such an amazing degree. And it wasn't until playing it through this time that I realized like why it works so well. And it's because in all Bethesda games, most Bethesda games, I should say, they kind of start the character off in a very contained dungeon environment. In this case, it's a vault and oblivion. It's an actual dungeon. In Skyrim, you can actually see the world a little bit, but you can't actually move, which is, I think, equal in this in this particular example I'm trying to make. So you're you're you you can't move or or you're you're in this small environment and and they slowly sort of allow you to become the master of that domain. It's almost like they are teaching you how to ex, how to specifically conquer that particular dungeon. You know, in in Fallout Three, you literally are growing up in, in the vault and then you actually get into some fist fights if you want to, which I definitely did with some of the gangs, the the, the tunnel snakes, and then you end up shooting people and killing them and you sort of feel powerful. You finally get a gun like toward the very end unless you steal one from from one of the from one of the guards um but you you become a master of this of this environment you're like man i got this this is a, okay corridor shooter i got it i can figure this out and then you open up the vault door and you realize holy crap i don't know anything about what's going to happen right now i am even the way that they reveal it with like sort of your eye foggy sort of like oh i don't know where i am it's it's such an incredible reveal um, that ta- that makes you realize that you are going to be constantly learning new things. You're going to have to, it's the first time you're able to go kind of in any direction because in the, in the vault, there's only a certain, it's literally corridors. And so it, it worked so, 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 so well. And I would say even during the second, during the second playthrough, this was only my second playthrough for, for the podcast since having not played it since 2000, I don't know, 13 or whenever I played it, I guess last time, um, I, I opened, I, it, it, it didn't have quite the same impact, obviously, cause I was expecting it, but it, I, it was still, it was still something that I was very, very uh, impressed by. So that, that's sort of my, my initial opinion of the game. I really enjoyed it. It, 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 it we'll talk much more about it, but, uh, but it's, it's an important game to me and that's why I'm excited to talk about it. So thank you for having me on. For me, this was the last game that I completed before my oldest daughter was born. So this game came out October 28th, 2008. My daughter was born exactly one month later. Uh-huh. So this is my last foray into non-parenting gaming, <laughs> which for me, it's going to have a lot of nostalgic memories because of that. And I was also a real big fan of Fallout before this. I was a PC gamer growing up. I didn't really have consoles. All my friends had consoles. So I went over to their places to play everything I wanted to have, unless it was um, Sega Genesis, which, you know, by 2008 wasn't really uh, the high mark <laughs> anymore. Um, but the uh, so I played Fallout 1 and 2, and they were isometric, slightly turn based games. They were very different in terms of their setup. And, you know, it was that classic interplay thing. So if you played any sort of like interplay RPG before, they have a redundant amount of menus, and everything was more complicated than it ever needed to be, but you had a plethora of choice. Uh, I remember challenging myself in Fallout 2 to play the entire game pacifist, not hurting or fighting a single person. And Fallout 3 makes it very apparent it is not that type of game within the first 30 minutes. And I was skeptical because I had, you know, played through Oblivion in 2006 uh, when that came out. And I was like, all right, well, this is the kind of game that Fallout's going to be. And I saw preview coverage on IGN back in the day and GameSpot and all these places. And I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be a different game. This is going to be a very different game. Went into it, and I absolutely loved it from the get-go. The first-person perspective really does make you feel more immersed into that wasteland than ever before. 
sure you're not dealing with as much stuff right off the get-go um, in Fallout 3 as you are in 2. But if you walk off the beaten path, you'll be dealing with it really, really quickly. For me this time, my playthrough, I just wanted to do as little side quests as possible because I just didn't have the time to be able to go through the full 60 hours of side content that's in this game and uh, just rush through the story for the most part. And I mean, uh, you know, I was fighting super mutants at like level four or five, which is not <laughs> ideal. But, you know, there's benefits to this, you know, third person system is that it has third person telemetry. You can go behind cover. You can be really, really smart with the way you use your resources. And I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, coming back to this game, though, one of my biggest issues was the color palette. And I know it's a post-apocalyptic wasteland, um, but it is very hard to landmark anything that doesn't have a pre-existing landmark from that you know from real life. So like if I'm looking at the Washington Monument or the Capitol, those are things that I know. The Potomac, those are things that I know. But anything else... It was just kind of hard for me to place where I was naturally without having to constantly look at my map over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that's it, it's a flaw in game design, but it's something that at the time probably wasn't as big of a deal. We're talking 2008. This is you know 14 years ago. Games have evolved since then, um, or they should have because Fallout 4 had the exact same problem. But, um, <laughs> but uh, and 76, I guess we can we can give it some crap as well. But it, it's gotten better. It's gotten better, guys. Give it a shot. But no, it's still a masterpiece to me in, in terms of storytelling. Um, they they had a very distinct story they wanted to tell. You can be good or bad. I kind of went more neutral this round. Like I made some good decisions. I made some decisions that I probably shouldn't have. Did I kill the overseer in the beginning? Absolutely, I did. <laughs> did I uh, end up killing Autumn? Absolutely, I did. But those aren't decisions you have to make. You can choose an alternative path and be this paragon of good. But I decided to be more of a real human being in this playthrough. And uh, yeah, it was a lot more fun, I felt. Um, it's been about six or seven years since I last touched Fallout 3. And I think that's when it had like a big 4K patch on like Nexus mods for you to go ahead and download for the PC version. Uh, this time I did play on Xbox uh, because on Series S and X, they did do the uh, frame rate boost with the graphics boost as well. So you were able to play at 4K 60 on Series X or 1440p on S. And uh, it looked great. Uh, they did a really good job with that conversion, uh, and I was pleasantly surprised with uh, how well the console version played because I'd never played it on console before. Yeah, same here. Actually, I played it on Series X because um, I could have played on PC, but it's one of those things where where if I'm sitting at my desk all day, I don't want to keep sitting at my desk all day. Um, but when I tried playing this game, probably two or three years ago, I tried replaying it. I didn't have a Series X at the time, obviously, um, and that man it, it it was it was hard to play to be honest like a 30 frames per second game just is I, i'm spoiled as a gamer i guess it's tough to play sometimes so i think that probably did help as being able to play it with such fidelity and such performance uh definitely made it a little bit easier um you said something really quick i want to touch on it and, and then definitely go to you sauce as the idea of choosing your character and playing good or versus bad, which is definitely not unique to Fallout 3, the Fallout series in general. It's definitely a trope within this type of game. It's it's interesting because I, tr I try so hard, and I tried even with this playthrough, I, I try to complete what I call an asshole run, which is basically you're making every terrible choice that you possibly can. You're mean to everybody. You're doing everything. 
And damn it, I can't do it. Never, never. I can't. I, even though I know it's a fake world and it doesn't matter, like I cannot make a choice that I can't see through to the end, which I think is why I'm really bad at role playing games in general. I've tried playing Dungeons and Dragons like in, in real life and I can't do it because I don't play as a role. I play as Caleb and it just doesn't work that way. Uh, not to say that I'm a paragon of good, but like, I, you know, in real life, I would I, I would probably have difficulty murdering someone. And that's the same in uh, this game. You know, it's 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 interesting. I try my hardest and I know that there would probably be a lot of fun to have if I was just to annihilate everyone. Like I've never blown up Megaton. And I've played this game now three times through never blown up Megaton even though it sounds like it would be really fun to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, I blew it up on my last uh, playthrough, not this one, the one I did before uh, on PC. And, yeah, it's interesting. You turn some people into... They don't. They don't look so good after. <laughs> <laughs> does Moira? Does she stay? Does she? Stay, does she turn into a ghoul and stay alive and everything? I don't believe Moira lives, if I remember correctly. Oh, but I believe some people do become ghouls, and they. You can just pretend like you don't know anything about it. Like, oh, what a freak accident! And like, that's a whole choice. You could just be that guy, um, and that's a lot of fun. I'm glad I didn't do it then because Moira is my favorite. I'm sure we'll get to favorite characters, but she's the best. And I would feel really bad if she died. So anyway, <laughs> well, that's that's love hearing all these different things like that, because uh, I, I guess I'll get. Well, I mean, one of the questions here was, you know, like, did you play good? Did you play bad kind of thing? And before I get to my overall thoughts, Caleb, I'm very much, very much like you or unless the person in the game is like just an absolute like dick or something like that they give me a reason to kill him or something like that i'm always like trying to be superman i'm trying to be the nice guy i'm trying to be the boy scout right and i even though i'm not like that so much in real life either it's just like <laughs> subconsciously like you know it's like programmed to me to be you know a boy scout and then i think there's a i think honestly i think it, it leans on to just uh design convention game design convention because games since the beginning of time have been about winning about victory about saving the princess and so there's this inherent understanding that in a game as a player i'm supposed to do the good thing so that i can beat the game so that i can win the game and i don't think it's just on the burden of the player i honestly think that that folds itself into the design of games even at the studio level i, I made a video about this on my youtube channel a while ago that i fully believe that even in games where there's freedom of choice like this there is whether it's overtly stated by the designers in a design doc somewhere or not there is an official ending, so to speak. And that official ending tends to veer toward good. I, and in fact, I have, I'd be hard pressed to find any game where they, they truly equally are like, you can go either direction and either direction is a hundred percent valid and a hundred percent the way that we want you to play it. Um, because there's the, it, it, there has to be some sort of narrative cohesion and there ha there, if there's an end credit, that means that there is a team dedicated to helping you find those end credits in some some way, some meaningful way, so they don't feel like you wasted your time. And I think people generally, maybe this is the optimist in me, but I think people are generally good. And so there's that psychology that developers, because they're also people, they kind of bring to the game. You know, I can't imagine someone spending three years, four years, five years, a whole team of 200 people on a game saying, we want the play, we want the player to feel like they did something bad. Let's do that. Uh, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's out there, but I just, I just don't feel that that's the case. Maybe I, I never did it for infamous. I know that has like, if you want to platinum, at least for the first two games, you have to, um, play a good side and the evil side basically. And I think 
I don't know. I don't know if that game fits quite in that category where it's really dedicated to because you get more and more powerful. Like you don't want to play that game. I think 50 50. I think you basically want to either be a good guy or a bad guy because your power is dedicated to what your choices are for that game. But anyways, anyways, yeah, it's just just funny, funny little thought, because like I said, I, I just can't pull myself to do it. Even even like the little things, I'm like, unless I could be just an absolute sneaky person about it, like I got the code for uh, Collins, whatever terminal, right? And it's like, you know, he he can just give it to me, or I can sneak in when he's not doing it and just like hack his computer, right? But I'm like, oh, uh, Collins gonna... one of those characters though. He's a he's a son of a bitch, so I'm mm-hmm. okay. I'm yeah, okay yeah, I think after I, stuff to him. After I, <laughs> oh, yeah, out, I, like, I totally he, hacked his computer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after I found <laughs> out he was mean to the the ghoul and yeah. all his like staff there, basically, I was just like, all right, I'm sneaking in <laughs> to get this one here. As for my history with the series, I, I I never touched it until probably the last five years or so. And it's always one of those games that like I think I start up and I get pulled away because of something else. Something else comes up. And I I remember I did a lot more. I have a lot more experience probably with Fallout 4. But my overall history starts for this game with uh, seeing my buddy Mike play this on his 360. He... He was a 360 guy. I was a PS3 guy, uh, and it's always just going over his house and like, like if he was waiting for me, he'd just pop uh, pop in this game for a little bit, just do some adventuring on the wasteland, like leveling up and whatnot, just just doing side quests because he had the the complete edition too with all the DLC. So he was just like always just doing a little bit here, a little bit there, and then just saving, and then we'd be on our way kind of thing. But he was always playing that game for I want to say geez, like a year, and then like. New Vegas came out, same exact thing, where he's just like, I just love this franchise. He's like, I put like 200-something hours into this game. I'm like, okay. I'm like, So I knew there's something there, and I always heard people praise and talk about Fallout 3. but And I did purchase it down the road for PS3, the Game of the Year edition as well. Um, but I never jumped on it right away because Mike then uh, bought Fallout 4 for me the year, like the day it came out, because he was getting it for himself, and he was giving me like a... I think a belated birthday gift or something like that. He's like, here you go, man. It's um, one of my favorite franchises. I think you'll like it a lot. So here's Fallout 4. And back to the color palette that you said, Stump. <laughs> you know, like, there's like a big difference between Fallout 4 and 3, where 4 is way more colorful game. Now, granted, that was a different generation, too. So, you know, some more benefits. But, like, so that's... If I'm going to critique one thing about this game, is definitely, like, the color palette. Not It's kind of still... Fe- around that same kind of what Call of Duty, black and gray and green era, right, of games. But it's, it's for me, the, the, the biggest problem is, is like getting lost in this wasteland more than anything. Especially in the DC, like Metro's underground tours and or, uh, tunnels and stuff, that, that gets really, yeah, confusing. Yeah, so it's, it's, I'm going to complain about one little thing about this game. It's definitely like that. And the fact that, like I said, it, it's, Compared to the previous game or previous game, Fallout, the the following sequel, Fallout Four, where I felt like with it just being more the sky being blue, and I understand <laughs> the the world's been nuked, right? So like you know, I would imagine it'll be like a lot of that radiation green, like everywhere kind of thing. But just like having blue skies, I think is much more of um, I don't know, like a draw or something like that. Like I don't say intimidating. Like maybe maybe that's what a part of, part of my one of my questions down the road for the show here is but it's it's very like 
I'm scared to explore this this world basically, and uh, I feel like that, that it's a missed opportunity because the the fr- the Fallout franchise and and Stump maybe you'll be able to tell us if it, if this is true with the first and second games. I, I personally haven't played them, but they they have a sort of whimsy about them that uh, some a, a sort of playfulness. You know, people are trying to make the best of a bad situation. That their last the the last uh, semblance of of humanity was during a time that looked from an outsider's perspective to be essentially perfect. You know, every, every, every home was a leave it to beaver home. And there was this optimism, this giddiness, this sort of happiness uh, about everything. And so it's that mixed with the destruction of, 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 you know, the world and trying to maintain that sort of mentality, or at least that's the only reference of, of humanity they have. And I, I feel like there is a missed opportunity to have fun with that from a color palette perspective, because if you look at a game like, Rage 2, for example, which is a game that I, I personally really, really enjoyed, even though I know I know it, it definitely has its flaws. But that's your that's your post-apocalyptic kind of world. But they go to the extreme and they're like, let's make it confetti and let's make it crazy colors and let's have a whole lot of fun with it. So like the middle ground, I think, is maybe when you get into Fallout 4's like DLC with the with the animals and the Nuka-Cola kind of DLC, they do a lot of painting and they do a lot of like cool, vibrant, colorful stuff. I I feel like maybe that's but as a dipping their toe into making the world more colorful. So maybe who knows, maybe in fallout five, we will have a, a more colorful world because I think people were fairly positive on the whole Nuka Cola to DC, but anyway, obviously we're on fallout three, not four. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, they, they have addressed a lot of that in fallout 76 because you're in West Virginia in these mountain towns and everything like that. So there's a lot more lush environment and everything like that. So you get a lot more of your greens, your browns. And in the earlier games, because you know, some of them take place in, like, in the West coast and things like that. Uh, you do have some like more forested environments. There's even a part where you're sneaking into like an old temple of sorts and it's all green and vines are everywhere and everything like that. So there's definitely landmarks because they knew in a top-down isometric of everything just looked like light brown with shacks everywhere. You would never know where you were going. It, you know, because this is Diablo 1, Diablo 2 design aesthetic. If everything looked the same, it'd be extremely hard. It would be the loot go lane sewers in Diablo 2, but everywhere. Um, so that would be not ideal for everyone to be able to play the game. Uh, so they, it looks like they took a little bit of a step back in terms of color palette and design, but it's more so they had a, an idea of what they wanted this game to be. And given that it's Washington DC, that would be a main target for nuclear attack. That makes a lot of sense that this doesn't have as much of a blue sky as Boston, or, you know, if you're in Vegas, you know, these, these aren't like military important sites or politically important sites so i can see why like in the whole scheme of the world why it kind of makes sense but at the same time playing it i just do you think part of it, it's harder do you think part of it maybe is is because i know so there's the radio that i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about but there's that galaxy news radio and as soon as you exit the vault at the very beginning of the game you start to hear this this chatter on the radio a little bit and as you progress throughout the game the radio signal gets stronger through missions and stuff like that so you hear more and more but pretty early on in that radio feed which again is is kind of like your only connection to this new world that you're in so it kind of treats itself almost as like a way to it's almost like a a museum tour guide in some way because it tells you about certain spots that you might want to hit up or it tells you kind of the the various uh politics that are kind of going on so it teaches you about those kinds of things but one of the things it does talk about early is this idea that there is a place in the wasteland somewhere with real trees and they keep harping on this. There's like, there's a place. It's a magical place with real trees, real trees. And they tell you about this pretty early, but it's not part of any mainline mission quest. You don't have to go to it. And so I'm wondering if, and this may be giving Bethesda way too much credit, 
but I wonder if what they're trying to do is almost plant like a seed. Um, I guess maybe even literally, I don't know. They're like, they're trying to plant this idea in your head that they're that, yeah, it's bleak. Everything is bleak. But if you really want to see green, if you really want to see something cool there, it's out there. You got to find it. And then if you do find it in my first playthrough, I did, I did end up going and, and finding it. It's even more impressive and more in, and much bigger. And, and so therefore the contrast between that green environment and the rest of the bleakness, just, it makes that, green environment so much more vibrant and 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 impactful again i think that's probably given bethesda too much credit because if that were the case you figure that they would want to make that part of the mainline quest so that every player has to see it and be had get that impressive kind of feel um but i don't know it's just a thought there because that, that is a really cool area if, if you haven't gotten there it's part of the side quest but it's a really cool area i can't remember the name of the tree do you get do you remember the name of the tree there's a guy at that it's a dude I don't, who, it's, it's been about I think I didn't do it in my last playthrough because I did a a, uh, a dark timeline, <laughs> you know, <laughs> evil. Um, but um, my my first two playthroughs of the game that I ever did, I did end up going there. I don't remember what it was called though, because it's been Herald. well over a decade. Um, but yeah, no, it it makes a lot of sense because you had been outside the blast radius and everything at that time. And I just pieced this together in my head. This movie, this uh, game came out the same year as Wally, the movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> which also. Very similar color palette on Earth. So hmm. I was like, oh, interesting. You must have had a thing for apocalypses. Yeah, people are going through some <laughs> stuff. <laughs> the, on, upon this second playthrough, I was able to recognize things, and maybe this gets into some of the some of the some of maybe the criticisms that that we might have of of the gameplay itself and how maybe it hasn't aged in certain ways. But again, when I first came to this game back in the first time I played it, whenever it was, two thousand twelve or whatever. I assumed all of the stuff I didn't know was because I'd been out of games for a decade, right? So I would come to this. I didn't, like I said earlier uh, in the recording, I didn't know what these perks necessarily did. I didn't know really how to repair things, how to sell things. I didn't really understand that because the game doesn't really, it doesn't really teach you that kind of stuff. Uh, sometimes it'll give you a giant text block to read through right before you do the action the first time, but there's no real way. Uh, there's no, uh, there's no ability to sort of relearn that or re-educate yourself on that or whatever. So it's it's assuming a lot about the player and their familiar, familiarity with these types of games. When I came into the game the first time, I was ignorant to all that, didn't understand any of it. So I could just kind of push through, brute force my way through. Going through this time around, I think I feel I think I feel like that's a dramatic, uh, not a, not not necessarily dramatic. It, it's a problem with the gameplay, and that and again, this 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 uh, criticism could be lob, lob, lobbied at any of these types of games and that they they don't necessarily introduce the player to the character system in a way that allows the player to make conf make confident decisions um and again i think that is a trope of this type of game so most players understand that but for example when you get into it and it's and you're filling out your special it'll give you a little thing it'll be like here you can here's your agility number this this has impacts on your speed or your ap refresh rate or whatever but without having actually played the game at all I don't know how important speed is. I don't know how important um, the agility, the, the AP refresh rate is. I don't know. I, 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 though I understand what it's telling me this point is going to affect, I don't as a player know the importance of that at all. So it's really sort of, I'm just guessing. Um, now, part of me finds that kind of appealing. Um, but again, I, I do, th overall, I think it's a problem. I think there, there should be better ways of maybe going about that, of, 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 I know, and I know some of the games like like uh, New Vegas. I think is one of them. They allow you to respec af after a while, so maybe after you do it, kind of familiar with things, you can respec and be like, okay, now I can put it into it. But to me, that feels a little bit clunky. Um, but 
part of me, I although kind of also appreciates it a little bit because I'm making a commitment at the beginning to these certain skills that I know are going to be good. And so therefore, as a player, it might push me toward using those particular skills more often because I know that my character is kind of good at that. So it's almost forcing me into this role playing. If I put a bunch of points in speech, for example, even though I might not know necessarily exactly what speech means when I have dialogue choices that call out and say speech, you know, this is this is a dialogue choice that if you choose it, you're going to pass this dialogue choice because you invested in the speech in the speech skill. I'm probably going to pick that one because that's what my character is good at, because I told this game that I wanted my character to be good at that. So I, I, yeah, I, I think there's, there's benefits to it. Um, but that's kind of my takeaway as I still overall feel, I feel like the onboarding for, for this particular game and probably a lot of others in the similar genre are a little bit clunky. Uh, I, I agree with that. And here's a follow-up question to you guys who are the pro is a fallout. Uh, what does the percentage mean for, for speech? Like, like really like speech as an example like here's an example of what i when i went through um so i go and i talk to three dogs the the wolf man radio disc jockey kind of <laughs> oh! guy here right yeah yeah your, your classic 1950s radio disc jockey you know <laughs> oh we constantly hear on the, on one of the radio stations right and he gives me a mission right where well leading up to he has something where you ask him about where your father is and then he gives there's a speech option where I originally challenged it and said, yeah, speech. And he said, like he said, failed. And basically he won't tell me unless I go find um, the satellite dishes down in DC somewhere, get it back up and then come back. Right. So I go and I do that, but I'm getting my butt whipped. Right. So <laughs> I go back to, uh, I forgot where I went back. I just, I think I just reloaded that, that save point basically. And I went back to him and I chose speech again. And this time I passed. It said I had like a 21% chance with the speech. Now, does that mean 20% is 21% like the bad end where it's like, hey, you only had 21% out of 100? Or is it like a like, like is, is the percentage of it's low? Does that mean I'm going to not, it's a harder chance for me to make it? Because there was another time as an example where I had like an 80% chance or 83% chance of getting it right. And I still failed. So I was kind of like questioning, I'm like, is it 83% chance of, not hitting it or 21% chance of, I, I don't know. Can, can you guys explain the percentage? Yeah, so, so it actually, it's definitely out of a hundred, hundred percent. Now some, some of your speech actions can never be at a hundred percent. Like there are certain, you know, paths that you can talk to somebody that just don't have a 100% chance of success. Um, no matter how maxed up your charisma is or your speech, uh, it's just not going to matter. But it's a roll of the dice. It's literally an old school RPG system. It's doing an integer value. It's when you click on it, it's just rolling the dice and letting you know if that's a yes or a no based off of that 81% or that 23%. So yeah, you can save point and just keep refreshing every single time until you get the one you want. If you don't want to invest into your speech at all, that's definitely an option, but uh, I don't prefer to play that way personally. But yeah, it's it's 100% roll the dice, but you just get a better dice roll with your speech. But I was going to say, you guys are right about the gameplay. It is 100% antiquated in the way that you approach these systems with RPGs. And that's kind of, you know, an issue with the way that they've designed these RPGs in general. They're all kind of basing themselves off of tabletops. And so you have character sheets, you have these places. When you level up, you're filling in those slots. You don't know exactly what those slots are going to do for you on your next quest. You're going to go on on a tabletop. 
you don't know what shirt they're going to do in this case either. And they want to stick to that main league. And that's why they haven't deviated from it. Even so far as 76, it's still the same. Uh, you know, Skyrim is the same. All of these games are, these Western RPGs are like this for a reason. And it's because that's the system that's been in place for over 50 years of tabletop RPG. And it's very hard for them to move away from it without becoming like an action RPG where it just automatically upgrades everything you need as you get progress to the story. Um, so you have to make these these decisions, these choices, even early on when you aren't sure of what they're going to do. And I know that that sucks. And I wish there was like maybe a tutorial area where you can see like well, how each one affects that world. Like, so perhaps like in the intro of the game, like, oh, if you're going to upgrade your speech, you can see a new dialogue option with like, a lab partner or something like that and then you can see like oh does this work for you no okay train yourself in a different area and that might be able to introduce people more but then that could also be a sluggish start and they don't want to do that so there's positives and negatives to every side effect of us changing that system even though the system is dull it works for a reason and i'm just not sure how they would be able to implement it in a better way like if anybody was going to try to implement it in a better way, it would have been Obsidian with Fallout New Vegas, and they didn't. Stump, how did you build your character with the special? I mean, like as an example, like I, one thing I remember previously playing with it, because I know I started Fallout 4 before, and I think I kept my strength low, and I knew that was a terrible decision for, for me, for at least the way I was going to play, because all of a sudden I couldn't pick up anything, and I was walking like a slug, right? So <laughs> I remember that, then going with this this playthrough, I'm like, let's make sure strength for myself is up there because hey, I like to pick up stuff, even though sometimes stuff stuff can be junk. So I I always try to make sure I, I have a good amount of strength, but like that's always like a focal point for me. And then I, I think I try to get speech as like a number two for me because if I can like coerce someone into like letting me do what I you know, as opposed to having to do an extra mission, perfect, thank you. But how do, how do you guys, like, how do you build it? Stump, stump, why don't you start us off with that? So uh, I played a, uh, a female character this time uh, because it does have a specific dialogue or a specific special choice of Black Widow, which it does help you out really, really early in the game. Um, because I, I can't remember his name. He's the agent that's sitting there in Moriarty's pub, and he's the one who's trying to contract you to destroy Nuketown. You can actually seduce him to go and kill his employer. So it opens up an entirely different dialogue choice for you really, really early on. So that way you don't have to deal with possibly the sheriff getting killed by him when you approach him later on, or you having to kill him in the bar and possibly, you know, taking that moral hit for, you know, murdering somebody right off the bat, even though you know they're bad because they have obviously bad intentions. So that, that helped me out tremendously. So speech was my number one because I, I felt that I could have a lot more dialogue choices. I could talk to a lot more people. Um, especially when you get to the Brotherhood of Steel, because they're so hard-headed and kind of annoying. Having those speech options with them does help you out tremendously in the end game, because then you are able to get more people to do things for you against Autumn uh, in the Enclave, um, which I appreciated. My number two was uh, my repair stat. I wanted to know, because ex I know that weapon degradation in this game is really, really hardcore. It's a lot worse than I remembered it being. And I'm glad that I did spec into that because I was able to use my guns for a lot longer, um, especially because I was under leveled in the strength uh, stats and everything like that. It was for me much more useful for fighting super mutants and everything because I was able to just have a bunch of parts on me and repair things on the fly and go in and 
to these uh, situations, especially when I'm going into the underground to try to get to Galaxy News Radio on that third mission. <laughs> like that was uh, extremely helpful to be able to repair uh, and be able to move through without having to try to find new items all the time or using weaker things that aren't just going to work as well or having to get close up with like baseball bats that I didn't want to do because my strength stat was not very high. Caleb, how'd you build your character up? Yeah, I was nodding super hardcore when you mentioned repair stats like that in this game is so, so, so important. I, I remember the first time I played through the game again, this speaks to my ignorance of the whole genre at the time. I didn't even know you could repair weapons. And so I was like taught like weapons to get down to zero condition and I'm like, I'll just toss it and get a new thing. And obviously that didn't work out too well. And then finally I noticed up in the top right corner of the screen, there's that little press Y to repair. I was like, well, what are, what this does? And uh, it was like a light bulb moment. And so I knew going into this playthrough that I was like, I have to get repair as high as possible, as quickly as possible. Because essentially what that does is it allows you to use early game weapons with if first of all i guess it's important to say th that you'll never get a weapon in this game that has that starts off in <laughs> in what i would call good condition like every weapon you find even every every weapon you buy is the condition meter uh it's a slider like meter essentially and it's below 50 percent, definitely usually below like 20 it's it's pretty bad and so every weapon you pick up you just have to assume you're probably gonna have to pick up four or five more of them so that you can actually duct tape together and it's really hilarious when you press the button you can actually hear a, a duct tape roll sound when you're repairing the gun it's really funny but you you have to kind of duct tape all these all these weapons together to be able to create anything that's even remotely suitable and so i find that is incredibly important was was the repair and then i also put a lot of i put a lot into strength because i i'm, a, I'm one of those people that loves to pick up absolutely every little thing and i think it, it's strength in this game that is that determines your carrying capacity right not endurance I think it's strength. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Endurance is how long you could run. That's right. Okay. So yeah, it was strength that I that I put a bunch of uh, points into at the beginning. I know. So strength and repair were the biggest ones, and then I also uh, did. There was a stat that was related to gun efficiency. I know there's also perks later on, but it was whichever one it was that was related to gun efficiency. I think maybe agility is what it, I don't know. Um, but I put a lot of stat. I put a lot of points into that one as well because uh, I know the way that I play these games is I tend to just be a tank as much as I possibly can. And uh, having a uh, really high gun stats would, was, was helpful in that respect for sure. So that's, that's kind of where I focused my character. Is there anything I need to know differently about vats too, by a chance, like uh, in my vats, it's kind of the, it's the slow-mo system, right? Where it basically freezes you and he tells you the percentage of what area you're going to hit the head, right? Or if you can hit like the, the torso or the arm or something like that, that's new. The, the, the franchise right here with Fallout three, right? Yep. That was, that was not in fallout two or one or any of the little DLCs that they had. Yeah. There were expansions back then. Yeah. It's kind of their answer to the turn-based mechanic, right? Like you can't really turn base in a 3d environment, first person shooter, like you could in, say a isometric kind of role-playing game which i know as, as you said earlier stuff i don't think those earlier games were 100 percent turn-based but there was at least moments to decide uh whereas if you're doing a live 3d you really can't so i think that was probably their answer to that is let's do bats that'll help us kind of make this turn-based tactical kind of environment with it uh, for me the the bat system was their version of doing criticals because there are no, there aren't really swords or any other weapons like in Oblivion where you can just get a critical hit randomly, right? Mm. So that allows you to have with guns critical hits, where it's 
because when it makes that contact or if you're just having trouble hitting somebody, it's going to do a little bit more damage than if you did it normally. So if I'm shooting somebody with, you know, my pistol that I have right in the beginning, it does less damage outside of that than it does in that. Because a lot of time in VATS, you could, especially early on, right when you're in the beginning, if, once you get the gun, you can one-hit KO some of the people, the security guards at the vault with VATS, which you can't without VATS. Hmm. And that kind of goes in like, uh, my favorite use of VATS was uh, when I was in the uh, underground after I got the first two mini guns. I repaired them a little bit. And I just used VATS to just unload on some of these uh bigger guys that were down there uh it helped out a lot because you know there was you're doing a lot more bullets they're not going to do as much critical damage but like in those situations because i wasn't high strength i didn't have a lot of health i didn't have all these options because of the way i was playing the game definitely uh made my day to be able to use fats in that system <laughs> i was the type uh, maybe this gets to your question a little bit ryan but like for me i basically only used vats like i very rarely Unless unless there was like a super mutant that was like right in front of my face so that no matter where I shot, I was going to hit the super mutant, then I might do non vats and just do standard shooting. But I was doing vats every time. And so my in my in my and as you get closer to an enemy, your vats percentage goes up a little bit. Uh, but there is a point in this game. I think they fixed it in Fallout 4, but there is a point in this game where you can actually be too close to an enemy and your barrel will basically stick out the other side. It'll clip through the, the character or the enemy and it won't hit them because it's literally not. The, the ray casting line like or whatever it might be is like is literally not touching them but my my main thing was i would anytime there's an enemy i would just run up to him as fast as i can like kind of dodging fire <laughs> and then do vats and then kill him in one vats round and just repeat that throughout for every single enemy is essentially what i was doing every time which did remind me of another sort of quality of life thing that I think is is was improved in Fallout 4 and that's the ability to cancel out of the vats after you've started it. So in this particular game, you have to basically go through the entire vats round even if you're like I'm hitting a wall, basically if like there's a tree or a wall in between you and the enemy and you have your vats on and your gun just ends up hitting the wall every time and you know it's going to hit it for the next three or four different shots in your vats round. Like in Fallout 4 you can just press the escape button and you're like, you just cancel out. You're like, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. I shouldn't waste a bunch of ammo on shooting a wall. Uh, but here you couldn't. You just have to kind of go through it, which was a little bit of a pain in the butt. I, I think if you hit the Pip-Boy button, it cancels out, actually. Well, that but would have been have, good to know. But, you, but <laughs> in the middle of a battle, pulling out your Pip-Boy where things are going on is not exactly the Fair. best solution either. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like... When I'm using that, ghoul, pit play. When, yeah, I, I love doing, the. I was doing the uh, the side quest early on where you're freeing that little town of all the radioactive ants and everything like that. Mm -hmm. All right, so I'm sitting on top of buildings. I'm not going down there with them. I'm stupid. <laughs> you know, being able to cancel out like, oh, I don't have a good percentage, or I cancel, I'll just pull my pit boy, set it down, I'm out of the bad system. Cool, that worked out. But like in the underground, I'm not going to do that. Like, yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that in the in the subway station. There's no way there you you will die <laughs> those ants in gray ditch or I, I think it's gray ditch right is the name of yeah. that city city so i remember uh, I'll, I'll really quickly i just kind of want to lay this out there because again again i think it speaks to maybe the differences in how i approached this particular game and maybe brian this being uh, you, you, you you this isn't your first experience with the game but obviously you haven't like played it completely through yet or anything like that so i'd be curious to know if it's similar for you but the first time i played this game i remember the pacing felt immaculate to me. It felt like I was, I, I would play the first, you know, half of the game really almost. Uh, and I was experiencing mostly Raiders, 
a few, uh, you know, mostly mole rats, a few things like that. I would hear word of super mutants and, uh, and, and, and people talking about super mutants. And I wasn't really, you know, I, I didn't really encounter them too much. Um, in the main line of the story, the first time I think you really encounter super mutants is when you actually go to Galaxy News Radio. I think when the first time I played the game, I, I did a bunch of side missions before I went that direction to try to power my, to, to, to try to build my character up a little bit. And so the, the super mutants were the specter for most of the game. They were this sort of thing that like, you don't want to go near super mutants. Don't do that. So the first time I saw a super mutant, it was legitimately like frightening. Like, I was like, I don't know what to do here. This is like, this is a boss essentially. Like is the first time I saw it, like, this is going to destroy me. I need to run. I'm scared. And sure enough, it, it, yeah, I got destroyed probably most of the time. Um, but then you, then those become the normal enemies. It kind of in the same pattern. There's a lot of super mutants in galaxy news radio. And so, they become like this normal thing. You're able to take care of them. And then you get the behemoth that's at the sort of the, the actual boss in the galaxy news radio. And then that imagine Caleb who thought these super mutants that I was just introduced to are the bosses. <laughs> and then I see this behemoth and it just jaw dropping, like what the F is going on here. Um, and it's also at that time when you see people in power armor and, it, and, and I was basically uh, a spun or I was like, I was I was super weak to everything. And like the the best armor I had was like leather chaps or something like it was horrible armor. I see these people in uh, in in power armor and I see there's like one of them on the ground dead or whatever. And I inspect their inventory and I see that they have power armor. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to take that and wear that. Well, Tanner turns out you can't yet. You can't. You can't be trained by uh, one of the paladins in the Citadel or whatever it's called to um, to actually use the power armor. And so that planted the seed in my head that like at some point I'm going to be able to wear power armor. Holy shit. Holy shit. This is going to be insane. And so for the next 30, 40 percent of the game, I'm like, power armor's coming. Power's coming. Power's coming. Where is it? I got to get it. Where's the power armor? I want to I want to I want to wear it. And so I'm I'm looking everywhere for it. And that's like the next big step in the game to me is like now I will have power armor and I will be able to take care of behemoths like we'll be more equal. We'll be able to kind of fight each other on our own terms. And there was this real true sense of progression. I'm getting better as a character, right? I, 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 and then when you finally get the power armor, when I, the first time I played through the game, I legitimately felt invincible. Like that was the biggest deal in the world, right? And then even with power armor, then you encounter an animal like a death claw, which you don't really experience too many of them in the main line of the game. I don't think, at least in this game and this run of the game, I don't think I experienced them at all, to be honest. But in my first playthrough of the game, I remember seeing those once. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? This is, this is, I, I have no idea what this is. This is going to, I'm, I'm freaked out. Like, oh, I'm scared. And, and so, but this playthrough, none of that felt weighty at all. Like the first time I saw Super Mutant, I took care of it pretty easily. The When I, when I finally got power armor, it wasn't actually much better than the armor I already had. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't this big tank thing that I thought it was going to be. And so I was, you know, it was, it was a different experience because I think I just didn't take, I think the game wants you to do a lot of side missions. It doesn't want you to beeline things, but that's what I did this time. And there's probably, I probably lost a little bit in terms of, of how effective the game was for me. It was just a really stark difference, I guess, in how I played, played the games and how the game, how I received the games in that case. And I don't know if that's similar for either of you two or not. Yeah. I feel like this game, definitely built up the power armor in a good way because the first time you see it, the first time you're able to get your hands on some, the first time you're able to actually use it, it's a long amount of time. 
Whereas like in Fallout 4, yeah. it's like the first mission that you're going <laughs> to save a settlement. You're putting on power armor and, and you know, fist fighting a death claw almost. And I'm like, all right, well, that's interesting way to approach the game. Like, what are they going to do better than power armor? Right. I thought the 4? exact same thing. And in Fallout like, 4, yeah. Is there going to be something better than this? Because if this is the base point, uh, and then that doesn't really happen. But in this game, it's alluded to. You see it a couple times. You meet the paladins. You see them. You know, there's people who are actively using it constantly. And it's definitely a change because when you meet the Brotherhood of Steel in Fallout 2 and Fallout 1, they are entirely antagonistic. Um, and so you kind of fear the armor. Mm. And in this case, you're not fearing it, you're earning it. And I, I felt that that was an, a brilliant choice for me personally, as somebody who has a lot of experience with the series. But do I feel it's any better than any of the other armor in the game? Not in the way I was playing it not particularly like it came in handy in certain situations i'd swap out like and i wasn't able to carry so much it was like pretty much power armor and a couple other items and my repair stuff and that's it <laughs> um but it, it came in handy every once in a while uh, super mutants like i ran into them pretty early on because i kind of beeline for galaxy news radio and uh i couldn't I, I couldn't remember how to get on top of the highway to get into downtown. So I swam across the river and had oh, alerted no. them right, around, right away. So there were like three of them across the river shooting at me. And so I had to take them out and Vats was not super useful with a hunting rifle. Um, <laughs> so being able to just like headshot them rather than taking a 16% chance on a headshot and just being, just doing it in general ended up being a better choice for me. So I was able to take them down, but then you're just running through the city trying to get to the metro and you run into like two or three different super mutants on the way to the metro. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how you get your mini guns. And it's, it, it was, it was a lot of fun being able to play it this time through in terms of like the progression and how they ramp things up. I only ran into two death calls this entire playthrough. And, and I think that was like, uh, I randomly found one on the way to, uh, I can't remember. I was doing the, mission up north where like the little boy was kidnapped and like that the girl's family was all murdered mm. yeah so there was there was one up there just randomly roaming and i, th I think it's just random chance they mm. they are not stationed specifically in certain places as far as i'm aware there are certain places that they can or cannot spawn but it's like a percentage chance so that was another and thing fallout 4 did right like in addition to introducing the power armor right away there's a scripted death claw event right away as well and so both yeah, of right those things together of like <laughs> This game is going to be crazy if they're starting you here. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you guys, do you consider this to be a horror game? And I say no. this because and I, I say this because I mean, I mean, I mentioned this earlier with the color palette where there's times where I find it uh, like exploring areas isn't very inviting where I'm like, okay, I have no stim packs right here. I'm going <laughs> into the subway here. There's ghouls. I'm gonna have to make sure I turn. Uh, granted, ghouls are very, fairly weak. Well, so I'm like, just just exploring. All of a sudden, I hear a screech, and I'm like, oh, or, or, like there's a giant cockroach that just uh, you know pops out of nowhere. Where I feel this game, I don't know if it's a horror game, but I definitely feel it's got like that very much horror elements to it. Where I'm like, geez, like it, it, uh, the best I can describe it to you, you know, is is like I, it, it thinks to me, I think of horror games, you know, where it's just like low health for me. Which is, a, I got a follow up question for this too, uh, for you guys, because you guys seem to be the pros. Is there a way to, um, what's what's the wordage here? What's, is it um, milk? Like where, where you can just keep reloading stim packs or ammo or something like that, where I can 
a good what's a good cheat for me to because I'm I'm low on I'm low on health and I, I need help and I can't find a bed. So what would be your advice for someone like me, basically, who can uh, to reload before I go exploring to a new area? So, in in my experience with this game and playing it again here on console, things do not regenerate in areas. You can go back and forth to an area like the supermarket, and what you picked up is already what you picked up. It will not regenerate. So for you to be able, you you have to make those kind of executive choices on if you're going to eat infected food and take that that radiation um, to be able to heal yourself up or not. Like if that's where you're feeling that you're at, you have to make those decisions. And that's part of the post-apocalyptic sort of environment that this is. I, I don't feel it's a horror game. Uh, I'm not huge on horror games and stuff in general, though I always end up playing like every Resident Evil. I don't understand myself sometimes, but <laughs> this game, I, I don't feel it's horror, but you can't have a, an apocalyptic environment without fear because otherwise this would be a Disney game. And it's, it's, it's definitely not that it's so for me, there has to be some level of you having to understand that you're not quite ready for everything, but you have to do it anyways. And this game does have a really good deal with that. It, like it perfected that like uh, in a ways that like even fallout four tried to like when you first get into MIT, like it has those sections where you're just like, hi, I'm not sure I'm ready to fight all these robots. <laughs> this is going to be a pain. And you're fearful of like, if you're even going to make it out alive, but it doesn't do it in the same way as every little step you take in this game. You don't know when Raiders are going to pop out. If rad rushers are going to kind of come out of the ground and surround you. Super mutants are everywhere. Uh, when you get to the ghoul city, you know, if you don't make the right sort of dialogue choices, you could find yourself surrounded by an entirely unfriendly town. <laughs> there's decisions that you can make in this game, and there's places and environments that they create that just instill fear, but in, I feel like, a positive way that makes you play a certain, the, the way that they've designed it to be. I'd say, regarding specifically the health thing, uh, I think f both times I played through this game for probably at least half of the half of the experience, you're pretty resource limited. Even if you play the game right, uh, correct, quote unquote, right, correctly, if you play the game with an eye toward trying to maximize the amount of loot that you get from containers, you take the right perks to specifically do that. Um, you're still somewhat resource strapped for like half the game. But then the back half of the game, you end up it's it's one of those things when you end the game with you know, a hundred stim packs because you just have too many. And I think the, the sort of tips and maybe this gets, I guess, into a little bit of the, the tips for new players kind of section that you have in the notes here. Like for me, it was really understand how buying and selling works. Um, it doesn't really teach you that, that you can sell to any vendor to get caps. Um, any vendor that's there, you can, you can sell to, it doesn't have to be like a dedicated vendor. They all have a certain amount of caps that you can essentially just sell stuff to. And they'll buy anything. So it's not certain vendors only buy certain things. So all the junk you pick up throughout the wasteland, just sell it all to them and get some caps. Now, it's not a super efficient way to make money, but it is it will get you some money enough to buy stim packs. And the prices, I believe, across all of the vendors for different items are pretty much the same, at least when it comes to stim packs. Like they can be adjusted by your your barter skill and thing like that. But like one vendor is always going to have kind of the same pricing as the as, as another so as long as you're selling all of your loot, selling everything you don't need or don't use, 
you're getting enough caps use those caps i i used caps to buy exclusively ammo and stim packs for like the first half of the game i didn't buy anything else <laughs> uh there's a lot of stuff that would tempt me you know moria has a has a uh, uh the rocket or the junk launcher the rocket launcher schematic which uh is super fun and tempting when you read the description because it, it uses junk for ammo and it's like there's tons of junk out there that's that's the solution to my ammo problem and it is really fun to use but in all honesty, it's not needed, and you could really spend that thousand or whatever caps much better on stim packs. Uh, so I would just I mapped the entire game. I had the stim pack button mapped to my down directional button, so that in mid combat I'm just pressing a down button, and I'll just press it as many times as I need to to fill up. Uh, the medicine perk is also really or medicine yeah perk I guess or uh, is it a perk skill is a, is also really really important because that dictates how much health you get from each of those stim packs. So as long as you focus, I think on selling everything to get caps to buy stim packs you increase your medicine in order to make those stim packs more effective and then you're just spending the rest of your caps on ammo um, there's also a perk i think it's called this and in, in fallout 4 is called like a scrounger perk i can't remember what it was called in three maybe it's the same one but it allows you to find more ammo and more caps in bins that was super duper helpful as well because then you go from you find ammo every third or fourth file cabinet to, to you find ammo in every single file cabinet and it's just every it's everywhere and so those were really really helpful i wish i would have probably taken those a little bit earlier in the in the in the playthrough but those things yeah they they helped me kind of see through and get to the end game where i was way overpowered toward the end of the game for sure absolutely and and they should like if i were to make a change i would have them have allocated some of those stim packs earlier on to make that introduction to the game a little bit easier because yeah. i find that they're way too plentiful in the end game when you don't need them because you have better armor, you're not getting hurt as often. You have better weapons to take things out before they become a threat. So I don't know why they felt that they needed to overdo it there at the end when in the beginning it's completely bleak to be able to find these sorts of items. Um, I feel like it would have been a much more fluid playthrough if they had it available. But I did pretty much the same thing. Another thing that with that bartering system, with the, the selling system that people don't realize is that you can sell to people who don't have caps oh right and then you don't get paid for the things you sell them so you need to make sure that you're not overselling items to people because you can buy them back for them for caps but you can <laughs> sell it to them for nothing just to that's get it right. out of your inventory space so if you have a bunch of like stuff that's worth like two or three caps and you're pretty resource rich at that point like yeah get it out of your out of your system so you're not you know carrying it around anymore sure but like more or you can get rid of your caps really really early or get rid of all of her caps really, really early because she's a vendor that you're going to go to pretty consistently. And you're, she only has like 400 something caps. Mm -hmm. But she also gets an, an important nuance to that whole concept too, is that if, if once they're at zero caps, you can then buy stuff from her. And then those caps that you've spent are now her caps that you can take back. So it's essentially you're just trading items rather than everything. So like anything you sell for, they she will literally have those caps in her wallet that you can then take back when you sell stuff to her. Um, the other thing that I did that was really helpful uh, is there's a point in in uh, in there's a point in, there, in Megaton one of the one of the quests where you could post, possibly get your own room in Megaton, your own cabin, your own apartment or whatever. And once you're in that apartment, then you have boxes that you can store things in. But until that point, there's no real super reliable way to just like store junk. You kind of have to carry it all, except there is, and you probably have to find a map for it online because it's hard to describe, but just outside Megaton, there's like a hollow rock 
where someone has stored a sniper rifle, sniper rifle, and you can use that as a storage bin. So I would like basically like in the game, I pick up mini guns and things like that, that I wasn't actually going to be using, but I would pick them up and I would store them there so that at one point I would have all of this stuff that I could just sell to Mori Moria, Mor Moria, um, I all kind of like all at once if I needed to. And so I would just, I would be able to just like stockpile stuff there uh, as a way to then sell them later on if I needed to, or if there were guns that I kind of wanted to use later, but I didn't have the, the strength to carry them around or something. I would just store them there. So it was an easy place to store things at, in the early part of the game. Yeah, actually uh, I focused on that electronic skill pretty early because it only has to have like electronics, I think like 15. So really, really low electronic score to be able to fix the bomb. So I did that and they gave me the apartment right away. Um, nice. I was able to get the deed to that. And so I, I had that pretty early on. So that I was storing all my junk and that's how I was like, all right, I'll sell all the Moira. And then I was able to get the junk launcher because I just had so much that I had gotten just from like wandering around and doing like the ants and the, all these other little side missions. I had a lot of junk that I was storing in my apartment because I could fast travel right back to Megaton, right to your apartment, store it, go right back out. And I didn't really have like a loss of caps at that point. And the junk launcher is mostly useless, but it's fun to like pick up a uh, a mole rat carcass and shoot it out at people. It's fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like there's, it's just fun at that mm -hmm. point. There, there's not really a, a good purpose to have it. I, I haven't really found one there. It can do anything other than take out raiders, really. But it's a way to take out raiders without affecting your durability and using your other items, which I'm mm -hmm. appreciative of. <laughs> one more question about this. Uh, because I kept reading about it online, and I just don't know how important it is. And I lost lost it for a, a small portion of it. It's karma, right? I kept reading online that karma is very important to this to this game. Is that true? I, I lost it because I opened up a file cabinet and took a stem pack from Three Dog in this area because I was like, "Oh, good, I need something like this." And I said, "You lost karma." And I'm like. Okay. It's kind of like a warning, too. But like I said, I read online that karma was very important in the game. Is that true? Yeah, that's your good and evil system. So okay. uh, it is important. I stayed mostly in positive karma. Like I said, I did kill a few people that I needed to. Or, you know, just kind of took like a more neutral path. But those things do affect your karma negatively when you when you kill people that don't have to be killed. Or, like, if you... If you nuked megaton yeah uh that would uh, definitely put your karma in a real bad place to recover from but it does affect your dialogue choices it does affect how people approach you and talk to you because you as the wanderer now have a reputation the more karma you have you have a reputation as like a paragon or as just somebody to watch out for um and like if you nuke megaton before you get the three dog he knows <laughs> he knows you and that's not a good situation to be in because you still have to make these dialogue choices to find out about your father and everything like that but he's a lot more hesitant to talk to you that uh, that speech role where you were talking about the satellite dish earlier your percentage actually lowers in your charismatic uh talking um to be able to convince somebody but then you can also do an intimidate so you can just like try to get them to do it by gunpoint uh essentially if you go that route um it it's uh, if you've ever played Mass Effect, it's very similar to that, which oddly okay. came out the year before this game. It's it's interesting because the game doesn't, uh, from, to my understanding, the game doesn't expose your your 
where you are on that spectrum of, of karma. Like it just, you get these notices that you've gained karma, you've lost karma, but it doesn't actually tell you kind of where you are. So you almost just have to intuitively kind of feel how many times did I see that you've lost karma. And that means I'm probably in the bad. I, the first time I played through the game, I didn't pay any attention to the karma stuff and I just stole everything. I just stole, 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 stole. And it wasn't, it was for a lot. It, it was a, it took me a while before I realized like you can duck and sort of shimmy your way like around behind someone so that you're hidden and then you can steal and they don't get mad at you. You still lose karma, but they like, they don't, which is weird. I figure like they didn't see you, you shouldn't have to lose karma, but anyway, um, you could just steal everything. And I did that like crazy uh, playing through this game, this round. I, I didn't steal anything and I did notice that there were some things, some benefits that I received. So, for example, uh, toward the late part of the game, once you get into the um, Brotherhood of Steel uh, Citadel or whatever, one of the paladins will join you on your quest and be your be your companion or whatever. And I think that's related to karma. I think you have to have a positive karma for that mm -hmm. paladin to be able to, to join you. Um, and that's super helpful to have. I think unkillable like companion that can just shoot a lot of stuff for you. It was super helpful. It's uh, toward that part of the game. It probably isn't really that helpful, but it's, it's nice to have. So that oh, was like the no, biggest thing that I noticed. That's, that's actually a huge one. So it, I think it's Sonia, I think is her name. I think so. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. So in the end, you know, where you have the option to like save the Potomac and save the people and everything like that. You can actually, if she, you have a good enough karma, you can send her in there to do it for you. So you don't have to die. Oh, see, I took Fox at that time, and I should have, because yes. you only have one companion, and so yeah, I took so, Fox instead of her. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she can, she can sacrifice for you instead of you self-sacrificing. Oh. Um, so that's that's a whole thing related to karma. Um, karma, as far as I'm aware, is also supposed to affect your random encounters as well. So if you have negative karma, if you're going around stealing everything, you can have more death cause appear. You can have more uh, more enemies uh, be way more aggressive towards you. Probably more well. talent mercs, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, I remember so seeing those all the time in my first playthrough, and they annihilated me, and that's why, because I stole a bunch of bobby pins from the Doctor and Megaton. So, yeah. so it, it's it's not so much like like the karma, like it's it's literally what it is. It is negatively affecting or positively affecting your morality, and that's going to negatively affect or positively affect the world around you. Hmm. So, I think that's a very very interesting way to approach it. It's. Uh, it's not as nuanced as something like Red Dead system or even Mass Effect. I, I feel like got it a little bit better because there's definitely story differences with it. Um, aside the one I just told you with Sonya. But overall, it just kind of affects your gameplay on a like minute to minute basis. Yeah, speaking of people going into the into the uh, at the very end of the game, going into the Project Purity on your behalf, you know, fuck Fox. Like, why doesn't he like? He's this super mutant who can't be destroyed by radiation. And if you try to send him in there, he's like, nope. Cause I don't wanna. Like, there's no he doesn't give you a good reason. He's like, nah, sorry. <laughs> and this was literally 20 minutes after he did that exact same thing to get the geck for you. <laughs> like he literally did this exact same thing, but for some reason this time he's like, nah. Sorry. <laughs> it sucks. But you know, yeah, Fox I, I, I love Fox as a character, but like those those moments at the end, like I already knew that what how you have to go about it. I I didn't choose him. <laughs> I, I had Sonya because I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna do it this way. I should go one of my old saves. Maybe I'll do that after this recording. Is I'll go back to one of the pre pre uh, or go back to one of the saves and just switch out for Sonya. See that see the difference? Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of characters, did you guys have any favorite characters in the game besides the lone wanderer as yourself? Is that that's what they t- they title them in the game? Otherwise, you can just call them, you know, Caleb or female stump. You know. <laughs> I had my son. My son named my character uh, Kblub, um, just because he's weird. Um, sure, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, Stacy. You know, tried to keep it as close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, but no, uh, what you you were saying, Moira earlier. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> Moira definitely like that's the character you get introduced to so quickly, and you just you everything she asks you to do, like yeah, can you go get like some real bad radiation poisoning? I just want to study you. Oh, sure, of course. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, she's fantastic. She's I, and I love where she is. It's interesting because as. As much as the game likes to tell you that it's you can go anywhere, do anything, it, it is very clearly, at least at the beginning, driving you toward a path. Um, so Megaton is the only thing, I think, on your map when you leave the vault. It's it's a it's a waypoint on the map. So already the game is saying, hey, this is an important place to go. So and even visually speaking, when you look at the horizon, you can kind of see Megaton a little bit kind of peeking out. And it's like the only thing that looks like a building. And so you're as a player, you're you're guided there. Once you get there. You can't you like Lucas Sims, the the mayor, he comes right up to you like you can't avoid him. He comes right up to you and is like, hey, what's going on? Who are you? And one of the things, one of the questions you can ask is, where can I buy supplies? And as a player who just got out of the vault and has nothing, you'd be absurd. You'd be crazy not to ask that question. Where can I buy supplies? And so then he tells you go to Crater and Supplies. So he like the game is telling you to go get to Moria, Moria because she is also kind of your tutorial person. She's the one who gives you send you out into the wasteland and these various like minor tasks to sort of get familiar with the whole concept and everything. And so she's playing a really important role just in the gameplay of the game, but she's also just like incredibly endearing, super optimistic, like never sad about anything. Uh, she's just a joy. Oh, I love Moria. Does one of you want to take the story or and just give us a quick brief rundown or the, the story is important, but I, I don't feel it's as important to, your game experience as as it would seem to be like mm. it's the thing that's definitely aged the best out of everything in this game and i could talk about the story for a little bit if you want it's it's not too complicated like you could probably summarize it up in about five sentences which is kind of interesting but how they end up going about it is pretty impactful essentially it starts out you know your character born in the vault vault like, what 101 yeah. and uh you know, you're born in the vault, you were raised there, your mother dies in childbirth, you know, you're raised by your father, Liam Neeson. Um, and, you know, you're picked on and bullied by one kid. And, you know, you kind of grow up, you go into school, you learn about the, the VATS or the special system. You learn about the VAT system once you're a teenager from your father, because uh, it takes you to like a little training area with like a little BB gun. That's interesting to go ahead and shoot rad roaches. Then you get to learn about bats and targeting and everything. But then one day you wake up and your dad's not there and security's coming to look for you and your best friend's like, hey, uh, things are going south. And the bully who is picking on you, you can go ahead and save him and his mom from rad roaches. And then he likes you and gives you his jacket. And then you wear it because you think you're cool now. Yeah, it's Essentially, you're going to escape from this, this vault because they're obviously they're not going to let you be alone. Uh, you can choose to kill the people who are trying to get to you. Or you can try to sneak past them and get out of there. 
I did not choose to sneak past in this playthrough because I just didn't feel like taking that long <laughs> to do it. <laughs> um, and that, you know, hurts your relationship with your best friend, but you don't really see them again. I thought there'd be a consequence to that. No, I just don't go back. To the, you can't go back to the vault again once you leave. So it's not really a big deal. Uh, you end up at, up into the wasteland and you kind of go for your first way marker, which is make a ton. From there, you're at a central hub to try to find out if these people had seen your father, because you'd found out during the course of this event that your father had left the vault, which is why everything had gone crazy. You find out that he's gone through Megaton and that he's searching for, you know, he might have been at Galaxy News Radio. So you go to this location next, which is infested with super mutants and bunches of enemies in your way, and you're entirely underleveled for it. So you need to go back, and that's where you get to learn about side quests and getting yourself a little bit better before you can go back and attempt that. Once you once you meet up with Three Dog, he ends up telling you, oh yeah, your father went to like Rivet City. Okay, so you have to go down to Rivet City. And it's a whole nother thing which you're entirely underleveled for, again. <laughs> so more side quests, more doing stuff. You meet a lot more uh, playable characters. I think this is where you get to meet Fox for the first time, if I'm not mistaken, um, in Rivet City. I think it's a maybe there's a there's the ability to I didn't meet Fox until it was after going to even the Citadel like or after going to like the the, the, the is that what it's called the Citadel the the place with the uh well, the of steel yeah yeah you're, yeah the right. of steel yeah yeah I didn't meet yeah and so there might be a way to meet him first but that's when I first met him was after even that yeah from there you find out that there's essentially two major forces you've been seeing these little like sputnik looking robots all around but essentially the enclave is the remnants of the former u.s government they have a fake president and it's essentially a military coup and it's an entire military dictator and they originally worked with your father you were born outside the vault you weren't born inside the vault as you thought and he took refuge there and they for some reason let him in i still not clear why they <laughs> let him in but you know it's they let him in he was scientist working on a program to clean the Potomac River to make it not radiated anymore. So that way there's a fresh, clean source of water. That way you could grow plants again and restored life to the DC metro area, which is pretty admirable, pretty important. Uh, you find out that your father is being held in a different vault of all things. Uh, so you, I think it's vault 83. Um, so you go over the, to that vault and you bust him out. He's very grateful to see you. It doesn't last very long because I think you have to go to another vault and he ends up drowning himself to save you. But like he tells you about the Gek system and where you can get it. You have to go and chase that down. But then that's where you run into the Enclave for a first time in force. And you get to make a decision with them because they essentially want to poison the river and get rid of all the impure creatures and only allow the pure like the Enclave because they have been essentially... Uh, just breeding with each other, you know, <laughs> fun little Blue Mountain, you know, Kentucky people <laughs> thing going on. They want only pure humans. They don't want any ghouls. They don't want any super mutants. They don't, it would essentially cleanse the entire area of anybody who was different. And you get to make that moral choice if that's what you want for the future of this world that you're in or not. I mean, there's, there's a clear answer for morality choices than not do that. You could oppose them team up with the Brotherhood of Steel and take them down. Uh, you can activate the Gek and the self-sacrifice, and you can choose to put the filter on there to kill everybody or not. But if you have your companion do it, obviously that's not going to happen. You just get to 
restore the world, end of story. Congratulations. You've, you've saved the Potomac. <laughs> Did you guys have any favorite missions or side missions in the game? I I really liked, and I believe this is a, a, a main mission. I think it's something you have to do, but there's a, a mission where you have to go to a slaver camp and rescue a couple of kids from, from the camp, which I believe these are kids are, they came from a place called little lamplight. Little lamplight is hiding the entrance into the vault where you, where I think you meet Fox. Maybe I think maybe that's actually way uh, quite a bit earlier. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You have to, you have to go to the slaver camp to, to rescue these kids. The reason why it's one of my favorite missions is because it's one of those missions where it was like the first time in the game where I really didn't have any problem just like murdering everybody, you know, because like you go in there and you, you go in there and you learn pretty quickly. They 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 run a slave camp um, and they have no qualms about it. Uh, they think it's great. Everyone thinks it's great. And there are ways to get the kids out of the camp without murdering everyone. But it's interesting because it's not super obvious how to do that. Like it's, it, they give you some instructions. If you have a high enough science or something, you can actually hack some stuff and do some stuff and everything. But even with all of that, it's not like, it's not like push this button and we're free. You still have to kind of think about it. Um, and it's so much more satisfying and so much easier and so much more fun to not think about it and just kill everyone. <laughs> and that's what I, I just enjoyed that, that mission because it, it, it seems like it's the game telling you, that it wants you to kill everyone without telling you that you should kill everyone. Like it just, and I don't think you lose karma at all in that situation, even when you shoot them and they're not in their onside. Cause when you first introduced to them and in, get introduced to them, they're not enemies. You can talk to them as though they're standard NPCs. Even if you kill them when they're standard NPCs, I don't think you lose any karma. So it's like the game's like, yeah, you go ahead and murder all these people. That'd be great. <laughs> and then move on. And this is the first time the game kind of let you do that. It was really cool. Yeah. I was actually going to point out that exact same mission. For me, like I, I did have my science high enough to go ahead and free them. But when you do that, it does change them from being NPCs that you can interact with to being more antagonistic because they're going to try to chase down the children and things like that. And I honestly just didn't want to allow them to just essentially harvest more kids. Like, I know that's not something that will happen in this game. <laughs> but like, I, I felt like a, a moral obligation to plaster the walls with these guys. <laughs> Yeah. And you can't interesting side note too, like you can't shoot kids in this game. Uh, and even when you and all, I think all Bethesda games, actually, like you just can't kill child NPCs. So it's kind of interesting knowing that, like, so when you first go into Little Lamplight, which is just a city full of kids, it's a city full of kids. And when they turn 18, they have to get kicked out of Little Lamplight to a, a different town that they've built called Big Town, I think. And as soon as you walk into Little Lamplight, if you try to do the vats scumming, uh, which actually is another tip for, I guess, new players. Like as you're going throughout the wasteland, just constantly press on uh, the controller. It's the left uh, left bumper, I think. Mm -hmm. um, just constantly press that all the time because sometimes there's an enemy that you can't see, and but Vats will be able to detect it. So if you're just doing that all the time, basically, then you'll be well aware of enemies much, much, much earlier. But when you walk into a little lamplight, if you try to like pull out your gun or do that, nothing happens. And that tells you right away, like, oh, this is a safe place. Uh, I, I can't kill the kids here. The game's not even letting me pull out a weapon in this area. Therefore, I must be perfectly safe. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I got real big Peter Pan vibes out of that whole thing. <laughs> I, uh, I, was, I, I was stoked about it. I thought it was great. Yeah. 
And then um, the Herald, the other big mission for me was the Herald mission. I didn't do it through this playthrough, but through the previous playthroughs, it's definitely the, the most different mission in the entire game. And I think for any players who have not seen it or experienced it, definitely maybe look up some things online to figure out how to find it and how to get to it. Cause it's definitely worthwhile. I didn't do it in this playthrough as well, but nuking Megaton definitely does change the game. Uh, and it's something that I feel that if you are curious of how it changes the game, like even just create a save point and try it, see what happens because it does definitely, it, it, everything is different at that point because you don't really have a hub world to go to anymore. You don't have that hub in the beginning. So you change your entire way you're going to explore the, the wasteland because you have a new hub, which is where your employer's at, which is way far away from everything else. <laughs> so like, unless you got to the supermarket really quickly, so you can have that as a fast travel location, uh, getting back to GNR is going to take a long, long time. <laughs> Did you guys ever dabble in the DLC it by chance? I, I did years ago. So this playthrough, because I was doing it on Xbox with what was included with Game Pass, um, it does not have the DLC included. It is not the Game of the Year edition. So mm. it does not have Operation Anchorage or anything like that in there. Now, in 2008, I was actually living 40 miles north of Anchorage, Alaska at the time. Um, so when that DLC came out a couple of years later down the road, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this for sure. And I played it, and it was, it was fine. It was, did it look like Anchorage? Kind of, not really. I don't know. I was hoping for more. But I played all of the DLC for it because I was interested at the time to play every little thing that they had for the game. And with how impressed I was with Oblivion's DLC, like the Shivering Isles and everything like that, I was like, all right, Bethesda knows how to make DLC that's actually going to be interesting, something I'm going to want to play through. So I gave them the benefit of the doubt with Fallout 3. But I don't feel like I missed out on anything not playing through it at all this time. So... Uh, for newcomers, unless you're getting the Game of the Year edition on like a super sale where it's like $3 or something like that, which happens pretty frequently, the version that's on Game Pass for PC or Xbox is just fine. Yeah, my only experience with the DLC is by watching uh, one of my favorite YouTubers. His channel is called Many a True Nerd, and he does Fallout. He's big into Fallout and stuff, but he's 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 an incredibly entertaining and and level-headed, not sort of in your face trying to like be wacky and crazy kind of let's player and he cuts up the episodes so that he is is injecting a, a sense of there's not a lot of wasted time he, he he does what he does he presents the game and he does it in cool ways um so i would definitely recommend if you're someone who's interested in the games any of the fallout games uh, but don't necessarily want to play through them on their own i would say definitely watch his channel for to play through these games but he plays through some of the dlc and the one that takes place, I believe it's the one that takes place uh, in, it's, uh, what's it called? Gosh, I, I, it's the one where you talk to a bunch of different monitors at one point. Um, and it's really, really, really funny. That's what I, that's all I remember. I'll see if I can look it up when I toss it to someone else to talk. But that's sort of a standout one that he, he has someone who is deeply invested in the entire Fallout world. He's like, this is just an exemplar piece of DLC. Um, I'll see if I can look up. Actually, you know what? I might be thinking of something for New Vegas. It might not even be for Fallout 3. I'm I'm, I'm way off. Sorry about that. Ignore me. Still um, go see his channel. He's a good uh, channel. <laughs> I can cut all this out too. If you know. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. You can leave it in. Uh, but yeah, it's still, it's still, he's still worthwhile watching uh, that channel because he does a lot of cool stuff. But there is one thing, interesting thing about the DLC that I think is important to note. So Fallout 3, when it came out, I don't know how common it was in the world, but it's definitely very, very common now. And that's after you beat the game, 
you sh you are allowed to go back into the game and, and clean up things and continue playing or whatever and have fun with it. And the game sort of narratively understands that you've completed the game, almost like a new game plus type of thing. But it's like you're not starting over; you just get to go back into the world. Yeah, well, in yeah, when Fallout Three um, launched, like once you beat the game, like that was it. Like you couldn't go back into the into the world and and clean up side quests or do anything. One of the DLCs, I don't know which one it is, you might know Stump, but it allowed it essentially fixed that. It allowed you to you were like after you killed yourself in Project Purity, it's like. Oh, but you just passed out and now you're awake. And, and so you're kind of back into the world and you get to actually go back and do some of the missions and clean up all that kind of stuff. So if anything, there's one piece of DLC that's worth getting just for that. If you want to go back and finish up missions, but not, you know, start a new game file or whatever that might be. I don't remember which one that was, but I know that that was an option with Operation Anchorage as well. Oh, OK, um, so I know I know that they did the whole you passed out thing, but I don't know. I didn't have to worry about that this time because uh, I didn't go inside Project Purity. Good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I was able to go in. I think that option does allow you to go into the world and do endgame stuff as well. So that's if cool. you just if you don't go into Project Purity, the games you can technically just load it right from there. I'd spend the entire rest of the game hunting down Fox just so I can kill him and be like, "You jerk! <laughs> you absolute jerk!" <laughs> Caleb, why don't you start us off with uh, your final thoughts on the game and maybe any recommendations you might have if you were a fan of the, uh, for this game. Yeah, uh, overall thoughts on the game is, is I still really, really, really loved it. Second time playing completely through it, the first time being an incredibly important moment in just my life as a gamer. It didn't quite meet up to that expectation, but then again, nothing could. But it's not going to, this second playthrough is not going to drop it further down in my list of favorite games of all time. Like it's still where it was before and it's still going to be, it's, it's still going to stay where it is because it was a good game. It did take quite a bit longer than I was expecting to get into the game. So if you're new to the game, you know, if, if, if that if get to that initial world reveal, which is probably only like, you know, 30 minutes into the game or so. And then after that, for the next couple of hours, it might be a little, a little stale, but stick with it. If you if you enjoy this game, I, I definitely would say Fallout 4 if you haven't played it yet. I personally enjoy Fallout 4 more as a game. It's probably not quite the RPG that Fallout 3 is. And Fallout 3, even Fallout, being Fallout 3, is to a lot of people not like the best RPG in the world. But Fallout 4, I just felt it was more fun. Um, and so I would say definitely go for Fallout 4 if you enjoyed Fallout 3. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll pass it on to, to Stump then. Yeah, so... I feel this game is a masterpiece. The story is fun to play through. It's not entirely complex, like I mentioned, but it's fun to play through. The game is fun to play through. Has it held up to where my nostalgia has it after 14 years almost of it being out? No. It, it's definitely not to where like I remember it being at the time, but it's still a fantastic game if you can take into your mind, like, okay, this was the year of, you know, Gears of War was popular. You know, then you might be able to see where these design aesthetics are all coming from. If you like any of the Skyrim or other Elder Scroll games, this is definitely your way to look at it through a much more modern sense rather than the fantasy sense. I honestly can't help but recommend it to pretty much anybody who plays any kind of game. It's available on every single platform imaginable. So you can play it everywhere pretty much except for PlayStation, um, which, you know, you're just playing on PlayStation, you're really limiting yourself anyways. Recommendations based off of this game. Uh, 
Fallout New Vegas. Like I, I would say New Vegas is still my favorite in the series so far. Um, I didn't ever expect anything to take over Fallout 2 on PC for me, but the New Vegas was the one that did that. This one, it, it's still a solid entry. I still think it is a masterpiece, but it's definitely not my favorite Fallout game. And that's just because, you know, you can build off something. This is the first entry and in in this first person one, and they do get better over time. And having Obsidian's, you know, mind on it, they tend to bring out the best in a project when they get their hands on something, which is fantastic. If you don't want to play New Vegas or you don't want to play something from this era, I can't really say that Fallout 4 looks a ton better than this, even though it is years later, because uh, it does use the exact same game engine. You know, just ten years in the future, essentially. It's hard to really quantify like how important this game was in shaping, like essentially what we feel like a, a bunch of different post-apocalyptic games that came after this point. If we didn't have this, we probably would have never got that Mad Max game that didn't sell well, but was a lot of fun. We probably wouldn't have gotten some of the newer changes to like Resident Evil. I feel like Resident Evil Seven and Eight borrowed a lot from like these fear elements, like how they design these environments in the first person. I was, uh, I can definitely see some influence there, but, and, and if you don't want to do anything scary, just play fallout shelter on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, or anything fun <laughs> or anything else. Yeah. Um, but if you want, if you want something fun in this universe, that's just like really colorful and playful. Eh, just do fallout shelter. It's fine. <laughs> Um, I mentioned, I just want to really quickly say, I mentioned earlier that it doesn't drop it from my, uh, that this that this game has stayed in my, where it is in my list of favorite games. And I do keep, for no reason at all, a list of my favorite games of all time. Every time I beat a game, I put it in my list somewhere. So Fallout 3 is my 27th favorite game of all time. Uh, these, are, these are games that I've beaten, so I have to have beaten it for it to be on this list. Uh, right, uh, 26 is Final Fantasy VII Remake. So I like Final Fantasy VII Remake one more than Fallout 3. But surprising me, actually, because I think if I would replay this next game, I would think it would be better than Fallout 3. But Wolfenstein The New Order. So there you go. <laughs> As for myself, this is like my first time I ever really just dedicated myself to playing Fallout 3. And it's good. I, I mean, it's, it's you know, like some sense, a 14-year-old game. So there's still some flaws you're going to see it from, from today's perspective. But I'm still finding myself enjoying the game. I'm not rushing through it. I'm just exploring this world, getting side missions, really just enjoying my time exploring this world. I think that says something for a game that's this old, and you hear people talk about it still to this day. I mean, if we look at our Cartridge Club poll, too, it was voted the uh, best game out of the four released. Now, New Vegas was not listed on that poll. So who knows about that? Uh, but Fallout 3 was the one that took the cake, according to the Cartridge Club. It's, like I said, it's it's fun. And I, 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 something that's, if it's this, you know, came out in 2008 and still is fun to play, I, I still think it's, it's saying something from someone who's new to, still new to this franchise and just learning it. As for recommendations, Stump, you, you mentioned Mass Effect, and I think that's probably a pretty damn close game. That, that you mentioned, I didn't have it in my head until you said it. I'm like, you know, that was that's pretty damn close to it at all. The the world system is different, but pretty much like 
Yeah, I mean, that's, that's Star- Starfield cool. next year. There you go. What's Mass up? Effect meets Starfield next year. Mass yeah. Effect meets Fallout. There you go. It's the whole vibe. <laughs> I'd like to reiterate, July's game of the month will be Donkey Kong Country 2. If you're playing along or just want to discuss the game with us, make sure you let us know by using the hashtag Cartridge Club on whatever social media platform you frequent. For those of you who want to get a head start in August's game of the month, we'll be playing Hades. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, please reach out to us. We're always looking forward to having new community members on to talk about the games they love. To those of you interested in supporting the club, be on a review on the podcast app of your choice. I'd like to mention that the club is entirely funded by pledges made from members of our community. We are extremely grateful to those supporters. And if you're interested in becoming one of them, please look at how you can do so at patreon.com forward slash cartridge club. Anyways, that's the show, everyone. I want to thank our guests for being here. Um, Caleb, why don't you tell us where we can find you on the internet? Oh, yeah, you can uh, find me. I'm most active probably on Twitter, at Caleb J. Ross, all one word, the letter J, not like the word J. Um, and then I do have a backlog of plenty of awesome, I say awesome, YouTube videos uh, on my YouTube channel, which is also Caleb J. Ross. Haven't made YouTube videos since September of last year. Don't have any plans on doing anything imminently, but the content is still really good, so check it out. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. This was super fun. I love this game. Same way, uh, I'm at Stumptown Retro on Twitter. Um, that's usually the easiest place to find me. If you're a politically minded person, you might hate what I have to say sometimes. If you're of a certain kind of person. Um, but, you know, I live in Portland, Oregon, if that gives you any indication of the kind of person that I am. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me if you want to chat, you know, and if you can get over that fact. Otherwise, uh, I haven't made YouTube videos in about six or eight years. I can't remember at this point. So don't go looking for them. I'm pretty sure I just did everything. As for myself, you can find me on Twitter at the handle that's Rocket Sauce. I have an Instagram with the same exact handle, and you can find me on the CC Discord. I'm constantly there as well. But with that being said, that's the show, everyone. Thank you all for tuning in. See you tonight.